Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Strike and Ellicott Files, an unofficial podcast dedicated to all things Cormoran Strike and Robin Ellicott, as written by Robert Galbraith. My name is Kenz. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Pools. And today we'll be continuing our reread of The Ink Black Heart, this time covering chapters 38 through 40 of part three. Please be aware, as always, that our discussion of The Ink Black Heart will occasionally reference the ending of this book, as well as the rest of the books in the series. But before we get started with our chapter discussion, Lindsay, you had a few things that you wanted to go over, so take it away. A few things. I do. I have some feedback and responses that cover kind of the last few episodes that we haven't had a chance to go over yet. Oh, man. We definitely didn't have time to do it last time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. No. The first one is we've had a few responses saying that it is E and not I when talking about how to pronounce I Ching. Nice. Yeah, one email we got was from Rebecca N, and she said that technically it's I Jing with a J and not a Ch. But she also said that she thinks there's a whole conversation to be had about how something is pronounced in English and if it's necessarily wrong. Yeah, I agree. She listed her credentials as having studied the language for 11 years, and her husband is a native speaker, so he also confirmed this as well. That's pretty solid. That's a good source. Thank you, everyone who responded to that. Very helpful. We got some responses to the Ryan Murphy Havening post. We do have some new responses to that. It's funny because I still don't think this is going to happen, but there are so many comments that are making good arguments that it's fun (laughs) to go over. This one's from Nelly. Mm -hmm. It says, I'm rereading Lethal White right now, and we just met Raphael, who has a mouth that has a full upper lip that added (gasps) vulnerability to his face. Oh my God. What? <laughs> Do you like that? Wow. I love it because yeah, that's proof. Murphy, of course, is that's described proof. his upper lip was thicker than his lower, which added a kind of sweetness to his face. And then Nellie said, this theory just got way more believable to me. A hundred percent did to dun, me as well. Dun. Like that is honest to God, I'm going to take that as proof. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> this, this is happening. Robin is going to unmask the secret ringleader of the happening. Oh, this is going to be good. I can't wait. Someone said that it would be a nice contrast to Lethal White where she didn't catch it with Raph. Yeah. But in response to that comment, we got another one from Jasmine saying, there's also a parallel between Ryan and Raphael that Ryan calls to ask Robin out when she feels just as she did upon leaving Matthew. And of course, Raphael gets in touch to make a date with Robin right after she left Matthew. Our listeners are brilliant. These Mm -hmm. are amazing observations. They are. Yeah, that's awesome. These are fantastic. Mm -hmm. I love it. Keep this coming. This is amazing. Okay, so moving on. We didn't have time in our last episode, obviously, to go over some of the responses to our listener question about what we would send the agency to Comic-Con dressed as. Yeah. And we got some pretty fun responses. So this first one is from our friend at Badly Wired Lamp. She said, Stranger Things. Oh, nice. Ooh, yeah. yeah. I'm here. Is Strike Hopper? Of course. So oh, Strike would be Hopper. Robin yep. would be Joyce. Yeah. Nice. But she said that Pat can be a demigorgon, which really made me laugh. <laughs> that is amazing. I love that. That is so funny. Oh, I love that. We got, this is from 3469 Hobbs Halftail on Instagram, said the Princess Bride. With Strike as Wesley and Robin as Buttercup. Yes, I love that so much. I love the Princess Bride, but I kind of like Strike as Fezzik for obvious reasons. But then they won't be... Fezzik and Buttercup can be a thing. Why not? There you go. Another answer that I really liked, we got 
from Jasmine was Robin Hood and her Merry Men. So obviously oh, Robin as Robin Hood. That's so cute. This is yes. funny because Strike is Little John. That fits. That is perfect. She said Barkley as Will Scarlet, Pat yes. as Friar Tuck, and Dev as Alan Adale. I'm less familiar with some of these characters. They're in the, the stories that I've read. I love Barkley as Will Scarlet. I only know Disney version, so <laughs> Strike is Little John is great. Okay, that one's my favorite. Yeah, I love that. Some other ones we got Lord of the Rings, Scooby-Doo, nice. Doctor Who, Harry mm-hmm. Potter, as long as Strike is Hagrid, I think, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that makes sense, right? I would mm-hmm. love that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> my personal favorite, and this might be unfair because if you give me a Disney answer, let's be honest, that's going to be my favorite, mm-hmm. but it really is my favorite so happy rachi on twitter said beauty and the beast yes so obviously strike as the beast is a great comparison and then anna kiara responded with the gif of bell and the beast dancing and i was even more sold because i really want i really have this strong desire to see strike and robin dance and i think it's from that scene in enchanted oh oh my god i love that scene Mm -hmm. oh that scene's so good yeah that's another one we could do strike as robert and robin as giselle that would be yes. Barkley can be Pip the chicken. Ah. <laughs> there you go. I love that. That scene gets me every time. So good. Yeah, those were some great suggestions, though. Yeah, that was a fun question. Mm-hmm. Okay, another thing I wanted to go over was a follow-up to our swan discussion from our last episode. Oh, so yeah. we had argued that because the kissing swan towels in Trouble Blood were not real swans, that it hints towards the almost kiss, right? Yes. Not a real yeah. kiss. Mm-hmm. But... I was having a conversation with Anna Kiara and she pointed out what seems to me a very obvious flaw in this argument, which is that many of the swans in Lethal White are not real swans. There's a stone swan on the top of the pub that Robin passes. Yeah. The doors at the end. Those aren't real swans either. Okay. One thing she said was that maybe the swan imagery is at its strongest in Lethal White and not completely as a whole. Mm -hmm. It's a fair argument because... I do think that swans are really a focus in Lethal White, but I don't know if that means that I want to stop paying attention to the others. I think the kissing swan towels could just be either the almost kiss or the kiss on the cheek or kind of an eventually thing, because I do feel like some of the swans in Lethal White covers more of an eventual timeline, in my opinion, the first ones in particular. The stone swan, well, it could be a symbol that because Robin is so lonely, she's calcified her relationship with Matthew. He's turned her to stone. He stopped her from living. That's a symbol. The ones on the doors, well, you have to have swans on the door because they're at the door to something more, but they're not going to go in and that's their partners, but they're not going all the way through the door. Those are great so interpretations, like but they're still the not door. real swans. Well, yeah, because they're not really in love. Well, they're in love, but they're not fully consummating it yet. So they're not quite real yet. Give me some time. I can come up with something better. <laughs> no, I, I don't think we need to counter it. I just think it's it's a good point because it doesn't yeah. really change the fact that it could be pointing to the almost kiss. It's just our interpretation yeah. of yeah, it was true. wrong. I just like thinking about the things she points out because it might make the argument stronger if I think about them for a while. It could. I just think it was a great point. And I'm definitely open to revisiting what I think the swans mean mm-hmm. as we continue to get new books. Mm-hmm. So then lastly, 
I kind of wanted to give feedback on your epigraphs episode. Oh, how did we do without you? Did you like it? I did like it. I enjoyed listening to it. But I think I experienced what some listeners have said that they experienced where you really want to respond, but you can't. Yeah. Mm. You know, because there were some bits that I really wanted to chime in. That Hartella conversation cracked me up. (laughs) (laughs) Because I was just picturing your face and loving it. It was so good. That's you probably had a pretty accurate picture of what was happening. Oh, yeah, in my it was great. But I did actually really like that conversation. The idea that sympathy can be found in the epigraph in the same way that it's found for Edie was really interesting. Like B said, I too am kind of surprised by the lack of sympathy for her, not just in the book, like she mentioned, but from fans. Just say it. Just at me. It's fine. It's not just you because we get a lot of comments agreeing with you. We The other day, someone said that they were looking forward to our Hartella hate episode. I speak with the voice of the people, you know. (laughs) I guess it just made me think about if this was done intentionally, right, with both Edie and Yasmin to sort of amplify this feeling of dislike and disconnection towards them in the novel mm-hmm. are we supposed to find the sympathy what exactly is it about Hartella that upsets people so much because to me my observation is that it's the fact that she was naive enough to be manipulated and used and fell for everything so completely and foolishly oh, and for me it's her grating personality it's the uptalk but you always talk about how stupid she is. She is an idiot. But what made me hate her was the, her personality. I think that this is a thing. Mm-hmm. And I know that it's unlikable, but I feel like we're more mad at her for it than we are at the men who did it to her. Because I never see anyone expressing hate for Lordrek uh-huh. or Vial yeah. the way that we do for Hartella. So it's kind of mm-hmm. fascinating. Okay. That is interesting. I feel like hating the Nazis is a given, but you're right. It is more uh, visceral with it's very yeah i just kind of wonder if she intentionally made Edie and yasmin less sympathetic as victims of gus to kind of reflect that societal thing yeah i think that we're less inclined to give hartella sympathy when she's already kind of unlikable to begin with but it's like like the whole thing with janice and irene do you mean like janice not seeing her for what she is and being fooled yeah we're less inclined to believe that janice is killer because we like her more but you know we might still suspect irene because you know she's kind of irritating she's playing with that again i think and one more thing i know pools that you and b agreed that we'll likely see more poetry for future epigraphs Mm -hmm. i mean i don't disagree but i think i'm going to stick with my current prediction for the Mm -hmm. I Ching right now for the running grave because it's a known source Mm -hmm. and she put it as her header which we know she's done in the past for epigraph clues oh yeah so that's still my current guess i think that that the I Ching would be different from other fictional prose the I Ching would make a better source for epigraphs because it is easy to take single lines out of the interpretations so the epigraph while the I Ching while it's prose i think it will be an easier source to use for epigraphs and i i agree that the i think the I Ching is likely for the running grave you want to jump to our q a yeah the q a are we gonna have enough q a's to go through this whole book or are we gonna run out eventually no we're gonna run out that's too bad because i like doing these they're a lot of fun we could look at some of the questions that she did on the army stuff that we haven't oh yeah had a chance to talk about we could do that too all right so the q a for this episode is the one about north grove north grove art collective is a fabulous invention have you ever known a place like this so the north grove art collective is um is a very important place in this book. So you've got, I don't want to give too much away, but quite an eccentric owner. 
to say the least. And it's a place where artists and creatives can live free or next to free in this big ramshackle house in um, Highgate. So very, it's, the fictional place is very close to the, to the cemetery. Um, no, I have never been in anywhere quite like North Grove myself. So it really is fictional, it's, it's an invention, but I took little bits of places I may have known, and not necessarily people I've known, but places I've been to create North Grove. But may, I would say it's 90% pure invention, but some life experience went in there as well. I, I don't want to say anything further <laughs> because of what happens at North Grove Art Collective. Okay, I know we just talked last time about not always being comfortable diving into the autobiographical, but mm -hmm. since she mentioned it, mm -hmm. I am mm -hmm. curious about what life experience she's talking about, because of course now I'm imagining that she took an art class with a surprise nude model, and that's all I can think of. <laughs> with an unusually large penis. <laughs> oh, God. Well, she's really good at drawing. You know, I always love seeing her sketches. Oh, that she's yeah, done for characters and stuff. Really... I'd love it if she sketched Strike and Robin. Yeah, I want to see them as they appear in her head. I wonder how close they are to the people in my head. Mm -hmm. I would like to mm -hmm. think that they're somewhat similar because the thing that mostly informed my vision for Strike's face in particular is the reference to young Beethoven. Yeah, absolutely. But I want to know what Robin's face looks like to her because we get less, we don't have that same comparison. For Robin, the thing I see most clearly is her hair. Yeah. Also, it's interesting about North Grove being fictional because if you look at the actual streets, there is a really large house right on the corner that I could totally see inspiring this place. It's not Ooh. pink. And I also don't know if it's run down or anything, but the structure of it looks like what I would picture North Grove. Pink is such an interesting color for the outside of a house. Not just the outside, <laughs> the inside is pink And the too. inside. Yeah. I'm like, mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's a, a lot. Choice. That is definitely <laughs> a, choice. a choice. Yeah, from what we see in this chapter of North Grove, I'd actually really like to go to an art class in this place. I would not, and I'll tell you why oh, later. Yeah, we'll mm -hmm. get there. Like the child Nazi is a bit of a drawback, mm -hmm. but you get wine halfway through which is pretty sweet. But in all seriousness, my thoughts about North Grove, it really hinges on that that stained glass window to me shows an ideal that the North Grove is trying to be this collective, this commune, this community of people. Robin thinks it's a vision of paradise. It looks like the Garden of Eden. But then in reality, this ideal, it's been infected by people being people. It's so the commune becomes a sort of dangerous place, an uncomfortable place, a place with racism and jealousy and hatred and obsession. I like the contrast of the ideal and the reality in North Grove. And I think that's something we'll see in The Running Grape too. Oh, oh yeah. Okay, let's, we have, a, we have a part epigraph, a Grey's Anatomy epigraph. Oh yeah, these are always fun. We get multiple epigraphs. So for part three, the epigraph, and of course these part epigraphs all come from Grey's Anatomy, so the clinical ones about the heart if the epicardium and the subjacent fat are removed from a heart which has been subjected to prolonged boiling the superficial fibers of the ventricles will be exposed it's a lovely image yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little grisly i guess for me this is just kind of obviously saying when you start to peel things back and mm -hmm. start really taking a look at something things are going to be exposed i agree they're conducting a lot of interviews in this part where they haven't mm -hmm. really gotten to interview anyone yet so they talked to ashcroft the pedophile they talked to kia and yasmin mm -hmm. one thing interesting i thought was this part ends with comic-con with enemy pushing valpatora under the train 
Mm-hmm. He's exposed himself to do this a bit, hasn't he? Oh. Like, Anime's yeah. been a bit exposed with this act to Lord Drek and to literally to Robin and Strike. He's revealed himself right in front of them. They didn't mm-hmm. get to see his actual face, right. but a bit exposed maybe with this act. Yeah. But in terms of the personal, the matters of the heart, we also get the whole conflict between Strike and Madeline with her jewelry launch in this part of the book. Mm-hmm. So we get all the build up to it and then we get the fight of it. And in that, I think the surface pleasures of a relationship have been stripped away. And like what's exposed is their fundamental incompatibility. If anything describes their relationship, prolonged boiling seems pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) Charlotte's the one turning on the the, the stove. She's like stirring the pot literally. Yeah, Yeah. quite literally. (laughs) I like that. So yeah, I I think it applies to that too. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so chapter 38 Another epigraph. Another one. But in this chapter, and of course, these are the only important things of note that happen in this chapter are Strike and Robin eating noodles together and debriefing on anime. Those are the important parts. I really (laughs) love this conversation with Madeline. That's true. That's that's very true. (laughs) Yes. The epigraph reads, I've scanned you with a scrutinizing gaze, resolved to fathom these your secret ways. But sift them as I will, your ways are secret still. And that is from The Queen of Hearts by Christina Rossetti. So I'm looking at this one a couple different ways. One, they go through a lot of suspects in this chapter and a lot of enemy. Yes. They've scanned him. They're trying to understand his secrets. But no matter what they've investigated so far, his ways are still secret. Mm -hmm. I think that's probably the stronger interpretation. But I Mm -hmm. also feel like maybe you can apply this to how they're relating to each other right now. So we get this moment where Robin misinterprets the text from Prudence as being from Madeline and his ways are still secret to her, you Mm -hmm. know, and towards the end, he gives her this gaze of admiration, but they're kind of personally on different pages. Mm -hmm. I know that's a bit of a stretch, but I don't think it's a stretch. I like it. Madeline's trying to scrutinize strike too here. Oh, um, you're right. And failing. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I don't know. We'll talk. Is is she? We're going to talk about that. We'll see. (laughs) I also like that the title of this poem is The Queen of Hearts. Yeah. And it opens up with Charlotte in this chapter. But the Mm. last chapter that had Charlotte was the Queen of Devils one. Mm. So we have the Queen of Devils and the Queen of Hearts. Don't know what it means. It means something. Probably nothing. I totally agree with your interpretation that plot wise. Yeah, it definitely applies to enemy. So in the poem itself, the speaker is playing cards with someone and they can't understand how the other person always has the queen of hearts in their hand. They mm-hmm. always end up with the queen of hearts. And in the poem, it, it's a metaphor for a romantic rival always winning, always capturing the heart, right? I think Strike has Robin's heart. He literally has her heart in his hand and he'll always have it. Even when she's mad as hell at him, she can't figure out why she can't fall in love with him. She can't do it because he just, it's always going to be in his hand. And I, that might be a big stretch. But no, I love it. I love strike it. holding the heart. It really appealed to me. <laughs> yeah, I can see why. Right? Yeah, oh, I love that. He's always going to have it. Okay. Yeah. Is this our first swooning moment? The first thought I had while reading these opening paragraphs about the life and wealth of Jago and Charlotte was that it must be absolutely terrible being one of their nannies. Oh my god, can you imagine? I know, because not only would you grow, would you probably be subjected to some abuse yourself, right? But you would naturally Mm -hmm. grow to care about these kids and be completely powerless to protect them. I could not do it. Whatever they're paying those nannies, it's not enough. Not enough. Yeah, no. Did anybody else laugh at Jago's ridiculously long name? Oh my God. That was a fun one. Oh my goodness. That was hilarious. What is it? (laughs) The 
twice married Honorable James Jago Murdo Alistair Fleming Ross. Wow. <laughs> that's a that, that's a mouthful. That's up there with Albus Percival Wolfric Wolf Brian Dumbledore. Oh my yeah. god. I oh, I love the I Brian. Just in there. Me is the Brian. I know. Yeah, I love right? the Brian. That's my favorite part. <laughs> yeah. So, of course, after we got Jago's full name, you know that I automatically went to Google to go and see if his names meant anything important. Mm, what'd you find? So, James means supplanter or replacer, and Jago is apparently the Cornish form of that name, which I I remember we talked about that. We talked about that at some point briefly, yeah. But I always forget about it and it tickles me every time I read it. Murdo is next. That's a Scottish name. It means son of the sea warrior, Mm. which reminds me of Murphy. Yeah, Murphy. Maybe he's in league with Jago and they're both in the hominin. There you go. Connected the dots. Connected the dots. And then the next one, Alistair, it has Greek origin. It means man's defender. Mm. And it's apparently an anglicized form of the scottish gaelic name alice dare um, which comes from the greek name alexander sorry i just love that alistair is moody's name and it means man's defender isn't yeah. that great for him yeah, that mm-hmm. is really it's perfect good. wrong books but that's sweet yeah i love that <laughs> and then we have just two things left fleming is an english surname doesn't really mean anything important it just means man from flanders jago's like oakley doakley <laughs> oh my god and then ross is a scottish surname and it is derived from the gaelic for a promontory or headland so a high elevation or point of land that extends out into the water which i really just want to push him off to be honest (laughs) yeah that is so many names it's a lot of names I mean, I don't really know if these names mean anything altogether. Yeah. But there aren't any names that mean giant abusive pile of human garbage. Yeah, so. I don't think anyone would yeah. name their child that. So there's this little part here where Strike thinks about the building that Jago works in, and it says, though Strike generally had no strong architectural preferences, he found it entirely fitting that Jago should work in a building of notable and unapologetic ugliness. <laughs> Ooh. That is such Ouch. a good line, isn't it? Yeah, it's it ruthless. Is. So it good. Is. But I, I also kind of like learning that architecture just doesn't seem like a thing he's interested in. But he judges buildings all the time on their attractiveness. I feel like I've noticed him doing it before. Well, maybe it's just, you know, you notice an ugly building when you see one, but not really anything else. That's true. You do notice an ugly building. I think it's funny that, of course, this building that she's talking about here is, in fact, a real building. The walkie-talkie mm-hmm. is yes. a real building because it looks like one. Yeah. I looked at the link and it really does. Yeah, but it did actually melt a car in 2013. Yeah. And there's, I'm going to include in the show notes the link to the uh, BBC article because that was pretty funny. That's unfortunate, though. No, I would really like to pretend that it was Jago's car. Oh my god. You know? That would be mm-hmm. so that would be funny. great. I'm just imagining it being in the paper and strike reading it and being like huh? <laughs> <laughs> laughing. Uh-huh. The building actually it won the Carbuncle Cup in 2015, which is an award for the worst new building. Wow. Yeah. Impressive. I was reading the Wikipedia article and talking about melting cars, this blew me away. They did temperature readings at street level when the windows focused the beams. And it went up to 117 degrees Celsius, 243 degrees Fahrenheit. Holy That's shit. insane. I thought you were going to say Fahrenheit originally. No, that first one was wow. Celsius. And it was, the temperatures were so in- intense that a reporter was able to fry an egg in a pan on the ground. So this is my favorite part. The building got a nickname because of this. 
Uh-huh. You want to hear what it is? It was of my course. favorite nickname of all time. Mm-hmm. The fry scraper. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That is amazing. It also got called walkie scorchy, but I don't think that one's as good. No, the, the other one no. is better. Well, fry Definitely. scraper is hilarious. Anyway, I just wanted to share those fun facts about that building. That's fun. Yeah. So then it says that Shrike doesn't want to discuss his stress about being implicated in the Ross's divorce with Madeline. Mm-hmm. Well, specifically, it says least of all Madeline because Ooh. she's so stressed about her launch. I highly doubt that's his only reason, but <laughs> yeah, this really? is probably a good choice, right? Yeah, yeah. It is. I wouldn't be surprised if she mentioned this to Charlotte. Oh, yeah. And I don't think I ever considered the consequences of that because had he told Madeline and then Madeline told Charlotte, she would have known that he was in fact investigating it and probably would have been oh. even more terrible. Oh yeah. Ooh. Now I'm trying to picture this tangled web mm. that you're weaving. Like Charlotte's web? Oh my God. Dun, dun, I was dun. thinking that I wouldn't put it past Charlotte to tell Madeline that strikes being named in her divorce. To oh yeah. Shitster. I love this because he says this like he would have confided in her if she wasn't stressed. And we know full well he absolutely wouldn't. I know. Of course he was never gonna tell her come no. on strike don't pretend like you confide in your girlfriend we <laughs> we know that you do not so don't be yeah. lying to us or yourself i guess you know it's so funny in career of evil when he's like he's not a man that told himself comfortable lies and i'm like oh mm, my god you do it all the time now dude all the time he does <laughs> oh he's maybe so, he's so never sad. been faced with having to so much mm. he just doesn't realize yeah he doesn't but yeah we see the results of charlotte's meddling right here Mm-hmm. is it weird that i love this scene no i love this scene why do i love it yeah. so much why it's is it great. so good because he's so triggered it's hilarious <laughs> <laughs> like instantly shot to like oh me and robin what never what? how why would you say that like, and then all the <laughs> photographs drop out of his wallet of robin he's like i don't know where these you know <laughs> Yeah, I don't know about you guys, but as soon as she opened her mouth, I was like, "Mm, yep, my Charlotte shit stirring radar is already going off. Mm. Oh, yeah. Mm. What I love is that Strike is so confused for the first half a page. He he literally doesn't know what she's on about. He's like, I I literally have no idea what's happening right now. But yeah, let's dive into this conversation because it's great. Yes. Madeline Mm. asks when he and Robin split up. (laughs) But... Hold on. First, first, I have to talk about this. They're Mm -hmm. lying naked together in the dark, right? Uh That's a very important thing to point out. It is a very important thing to point out. And Mm -hmm. I feel like naked cuddling with Strike and Robin is not too much to ask for. I don't think so either. (sighs) Yeah. But with them, Robin's going to be like, oh my God, I just figured out who did the murder. You know? Uh Yeah. (laughs) Not, uh, you know, shit stirring. She'll be like, oh fuck, murder. That'll, That'll be what interrupts their naked cuddles. Which is adorable. Yes, it is. I can't wait to see it. Please, <laughs> please give us that scene in the future. I know. I oh, man. Do we need to beg for a second? Cause... I will beg. Yeah, I will get too. down on my Please knees give me a post-coital case breakthrough. <laughs> Absolutely. But you know what? I like the fact that he's naked cuddling with Madeline and he's thinking about work and Robin. Yes. yes. It's Priority. the song Rather Be coming back again. He phrases his head like he, she's thinking about the catch up he's to have with Robin about mm-hmm. anime. And I'm like, you know what? I would bet a lot of money that that thinking is actually about how he gets to see Robin and very little about the actual anime case that they're mm-hmm. catching up on. This is mm-hmm. something that I've been wondering in this book, because there's a couple of times where it's like, I think it's in our next set where he says he tried not to think about Robin. And I'm like, but what exactly is he thinking? I want to know the details. We don't yes. really get them. Spell mm-hmm. it out for us, Strike. 
I mean, I think we can make a pretty good guess. Yeah. <laughs> in most cases, mm-hmm. it's for boobs, but <laughs> <laughs> no, I joke. He has other thoughts. Of yeah. course. <laughs> I just mainly like that he's naked. <laughs> That's the important part to God. me. I feel bad for him though that his leg's stuck on because yeah. that, that rash sounds uncomfortable. Yeah, I know. Ooh. This might sound like way out of left field, and I I know that it is. But have you both seen Tangled? Yeah, yes. I love Tangled. Okay, so do of I. I love Tangled. Tangled. I know it's great. If you haven't seen Tangled, what are you doing? Go watch it right now. <laughs> yes. Pause this and then come back. I think it's tied with Enchanted for me as most romantic Disney movie, but that's not the point. It is really romantic. It is. The boat scene. Mm-hmm. Oh I know. In the end. Oh, okay. Oh my God. Okay. Oh, not the heart. point, but I felt like in this scene and other bits in the book, there's a lot of emphasis on Madeline's head, where her yeah. head is, her head's lying on his shoulder. She raises her head up. And there's at least one or two other times where it says he kisses the top of her head. Just don't like the idea of Strike kissing the top of Madeline's head. He should be kissing Robin's head. Okay, well, here's the thing. It reminds me of how Entangled, the villain, Mother Gothel, will tell Mm. Rapunzel that she loves her. But Mm -hmm. every time she says it, she's holding or caressing her hair. So it's her hair that she loves. Oh and I think God. about this every time it mentions Madeline's head or his perspective of yes. looking down and kissing the top of her head because oh my God it's oh. Robin oh my God he's oh I love that yes. right it's good yeah okay yeah never mind I'm gonna be loving every head kiss now yeah because yeah I'm, yeah and oh, now I'm thinking about good. how the song from Tangled is so perfect for them I only I, I have the song from Enchanted stuck in my head now. oh well the line is like all that time never even knowing just how blind I've been oh my god okay we gotta go watch oh. Tangled mm-hmm. i have mm-hmm. to go spiral in my feelings now yeah, it's fine. yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna have to go have a little bit of a spiral about my emotions <laughs> All right. Thank you for giving me my new favorite thing. Because I remember having the same reaction, like, don't kiss her head. And then I was like, hmm. So you thinking about someone else's hair when he's mm-hmm. kissing her head? Mm-hmm. I think we think of you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, that, that reminds me of a little bit later, but never mind. Okay. Oh, when? Okay. I, I know I, where that... your head just went <laughs> and mine went to the exact same place. And I'm yeah, like, because oh, I thought, man. Remember how you guys both guessed that he was going to say Robin's name in bed? Yeah. I mm-hmm. thought... If that was going to happen, it was going to be then because from yes. his perspective, just the hair. Look at yeah. Oh, oh my god! Oh my! <laughs> it didn't god. happen. But that's I'm so upset that it didn't happen. It would have been so good. Mm-hmm. Oh, it would have been so awkward. It would have been so delightfully messy. I, I got. I have a fanfic to write. I'll be back in like 20 minutes. I gotta go. <laughs> okay, you're welcome for the inspiration. Thank you. I'll dedicate it to you. <laughs> Right. Okay. Okay. But anyway, going back. Right. So she asks him when he and Robin broke up, and he's a bit annoyed. A bit. A A bit. bit. But we get this note in here about the fact that his leg is still on, like you said, Ken's. And first of all, it puts images in my head. Adding to the detail of the. Well, what were you know? Why did he need two legs? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what, what I mean? Specific <laughs> things were yes. made. Yeah. Okay. Yes. I gotcha. I okay. gotcha. Yeah. Thanks. Ooh, goodness. Thanks for those mental images. Yeah. Goodness. Okay. All right. Now I've, now I've got. Sometimes images, you need two legs. More images floating around up here. You're welcome. Okay. I'm feeling jealous of a fictional <sighs> woman. Good lord. Oh my god. <laughs> But back to his leg, I guess. It's also just a sign of discomfort. And it makes me think that Strike's increasing discomfort and pain is increasing along with his discomfort with Madeline. 
his leg is at its very worst when they have that final confrontation right Mm -hmm. so it feels like these two things are kind of building together yeah I agree Mm -hmm. I don't blame him for being angry because this Mm. is pretty infuriating I think Mm -hmm. absolutely no the fact that she just she doesn't even verify that she just takes it as fact she doesn't even ask so were you and Robin ever involved well I would be more mad at Charlotte there's a little bit of mad at Madeline for just blindly believing Charlotte oh no Maybe I am really mad at women being gullible. Maybe I... Okay. Therapy episode. Therapy. (laughs) I was never really mad at Madeline for this. I mean, how would she know if she doesn't really know Charlotte that well? Fair enough. It's after that point, then it's a little less forgivable because it's like... I I guess I'm going to argue this too. We'll get to it, (laughs) you know. Let's go over this line. It says, had it been Charlotte lying beside him rather than Madeline, he might have been tempted to throw something. Not at her, but possibly something breakable at a wall. Wow. I really hate it for him that throwing stuff during an argument is something that isn't out of the ordinary. Because like, God, for me, I feel like that would be a red line. You start throwing shit, even if you're not throwing shit at me, I would be like, oh, hell no, I'm out of here. 100%. So I wonder if this is the tendency that he has when he's feeling frustrated just because of what he's used to with Charlotte. I think it's another example that Charlotte brings out the worst in him and a look into their dynamics. But also, I think it might be a little bit of foreshadowing, maybe, because Madeline and Charlotte both throw something out of anger in this book. They both do it. So it seems to me like a bit of a connection to how I overall kind of see Charlotte and Madeline relating to each other and the dynamics that they're bringing out in strike i genuinely think that charlotte brought out the absolute worst in strike when they were together yeah i do too because yeah throwing things at walls like you said kens that's a red flag we've never seen him get really angry like this at the women he's dated in this book he's usually like the solid calm detached guy while they're freaking out Mm -hmm. he ghosts them rather than do any sort of confrontation But this, it's the opposite end because it means he's not invested enough to argue. They're not worth arguing with because he knows that this isn't going to last, right? He's going to have to find a healthy middle in this with Robin because sometimes you have to have arguments in a relationship. But the thing is, I think he will because we've seen them arguing before and they're getting better at their arguing. They have pretty healthy arguments, I think. Yeah, yeah. They have really healthy resolutions. Yes, they Mm -hmm. do. Well, what you're saying, though, that Charlotte brings out the worst in him, but this is Madeline. Mm -hmm. And something that I've been wondering about pretty much since this book came out is why Madeline exists. Because none of us wanted her. right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) No, no one wanted. Send her back. (laughs) No, why was she necessary? Right. And I think it's because of her similarity to Charlotte. When I was listening to your epigraphs episode, I heard Bees thought that she thinks that Madeline is kind of a repeat She must mean Lorelai, right? Because there was Mm -hmm. no relationship in Troubled Blood. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But my take on the character and why she's so important is because, like I said, there's that connection she has to Charlotte where their behavior and their dysfunction is so similar. So I think the point of Madeline and so much of the Ink Black Heart is to break Strike down, completely break him down. It fits with the whole Save et Coagula thing where in order to rebuild you must break something down. Yeah, And I don't think that was possible with Lorelai because she did not display that unhinged and abusive behavior that both Madeline and Charlotte do. Yeah, Lorelai was, as Robin says, Lorelai was decent. Perfectly lovely, she said. But yeah, Strike needed to hit his absolute lowest and it was mm-hmm. with 
a repeat of Charlotte. That's why I thought that these two books, Troubled Blood and Ink Black Heart, sort of work together because Troubled Blood, he was getting better a bit, but he hadn't hit that real bottom place where real sustained change hits you like lightning that I need to change this. I would like to keep talking about this as we go through the book because there are so many similarities between these two. And my feeling is that as much as we didn't want it, Madeline was probably always meant to be and necessary for breaking him okay we might get more insight to that in the running grave if he thinks back on it i just remembered that the running grave is exists and it's <laughs> we're gonna be reading it oh no oh man sometimes oh, it just hits you in I the know. face like oh it my does. god there's another book coming out i know mm-hmm. okay i'm calm i'm calm that's a really but good yes. point Lindsay. but anyway going back here's my favorite bit yeah. he says There's never been anything between me and Robin. We've never been involved. I would say that one of those sentences is true. Mm-hmm. I'm right. sipping tea at that first one. Never <laughs> anything strike. Yeah. Really? Okay. Okay. Liar. Yeah. It just makes me laugh because he kind of corrects that somewhat lie there, doesn't he? <laughs> he does. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the same thing that I've argued before about Matthew. Like, he's not totally wrong that there's no. something between them. There super is. It's like he said the first thing. He then he like remembers the hug as as he does exactly. constantly, and then yeah. he's like, wait, I need to get more technical with my answer. I need to be technically correct. <laughs> This is probably my longing for running grave talking, but Mm -hmm. this makes me wonder if there's going to be a conversation in running grave or maybe book eight between either Robin or Strike or either one of them and Murphy as far Mm -hmm. as talking Mm -hmm. about the relationship that Robin and Strike have. Oh, I hope so. That would be very interesting with a capital Mm -hmm. V and a capital I. (laughs) Yeah, I totally think there will be. And we're going to see Robin say there's nothing between us. And then we're going to have to be like, oh liar (laughs) yeah it's funny i just read you in the last book say to yourself that you're in love with him but okay we were there yeah i'm very curious how she's gonna address that she might get really technical with it too we have technically never kissed on the mouth yes they have on purpose on purpose on purpose (laughs) (laughs) bless robin that's gonna be fun here's the flat out lie though when madeline says that charlotte says she looks like robin and he says you don't it's such a dumb lie oh good lord she definitely looked robin up after this you know what i have to believe that madeline actually googled robin after charlotte told her this oh yeah so Mm -hmm. i think that madeline knows right now that strike is full of shit (laughs) <laughs> and that she absolutely looks like Robin. Madeline doesn't really seem to believe him. I don't believe him about any of this. Yeah. And I know that they've never actually been together. I still don't believe him when he says it. Yeah. So I'm wondering how we see this. Is she jealous or is she perceptive? She could be both. Yeah. I was just saying just a minute ago, I don't think that she believes him. And the bit about Robin, especially, it's just such a dumb, easily disprovable lie. Yeah. And like, even if she doesn't know the specifics of what went on between them, I think it's it becomes pretty apparent to her pretty quickly that they there's more to their relationship than Strike's letting on. Yes, it's just going back to Matthew. I've been noticing some similarities between Strike and Madeline and Robin and Matthew. And this is one of them where they're wrong, but they're not really wrong. Yeah. But I really liked this conversation. It was such a good bit. Yeah. Okay, so then we go to Strike and Robin. They're going to have an anime meeting. I love this part where Strike gets a text from Prudence canceling <laughs> because it's yeah. the first time he feels affection for his sister. That is really mm-hmm. sweet. But honest to God, strike feeling a wave of affection for someone canceling plans. With I him. love the same thing. 
It's so <laughs> relatable. And poor Robin thinks he's smiling because it's Madeline. Yeah, it makes me laugh and also makes me sad for her because she has to quell this rising feeling of antagonism at the thought of the person that he's texting being Madeline. Not that she's jealous or anything, no. right? No, she's not at all. It is interesting to me, though, that she's choosing anger because it's the only emotion that's kind of helping her not feel the pain fully, I think. Yeah. I think yeah. anger is kind of numbing her at this point. Finding things that piss her off about strength mm-hmm. to try and counteract the overwhelming feelings of love yeah but also on a related note god i'm so excited to meet prudence in the next book i cannot wait me too she sounds like she is a really cool person and i feel like she's going to be one of my favorite new characters has anyone else noticed how often they order food for each other in this book yes isn't it cute i don't know why cute i love that That's real best friendship right there. I might be reading too much into this. It seems like a subtle way to show that they know each other. I totally agree that it shows that they know each other. And I love that he orders them the exact same thing. Oh, and she does the same thing later when she gets the salad as well. Yeah. (laughs) Shrek is giving her some updates on the anime case. And the most interesting thing is that they're going to try and go undercover to interview Tim Ashcroft, the pedophile. Yes. The plan is to have Spanner create a fake website. He doesn't tease her about Spanner fancying her this time. Do you notice? He teased her last time Spanner came up. I think maybe it's getting a bit too close to home that, (laughs) you know, he doesn't want to remind her that other guys like her. Yeah. (laughs) Or maybe it's been a few years. Maybe Spanner has a girlfriend or something. Oh, maybe. I really love when Robin says, I could murder a beer. Yeah. I guess I just found this whole beer thing kind of endearing yeah yeah i think that strike can see she's a bit stressed so Mm -hmm. you know have a beer no pressure if you don't want it i'll drink it i think it's just kind of his way of offering comfort like robin go ahead and have a beer it feels like she's being like strict with herself she's like no i thought so too I shouldn't. I shouldn't drink while I'm working. Yeah, and she's just said that she's had a long day, too. Yeah, and I mean, when are they not working? I know, right? right? She drinks wine all the time when they're working. I don't get why this is different. Maybe beer just really puts her to sleep. Maybe. Yeah, that's the impression I got. But no, it makes sense because Robin probably does actually have a lower tolerance. Oh, definitely. Than Strike does, definitely. so she can probably get buzzed much easier. Yeah. But what I mm-hmm. like is he said he orders her the beer, which is great, mm-hmm. but he says he'll drink it himself if she really doesn't want it so he's not forcing her he's putting the beer there she wants to take it she'll take it if not he'll drink it and she totally wants it i love the way that joe describes the effect that it has on her once she drinks it it was delicious and the slightly calming effect it had on her overworked brain was very welcome yeah feels very strike like it does strike shows robin a picture of pez and he has somewhat long dark curly hair and it's interesting to me because we know that ryan murphy has wavy hair not totally unlike strikes mm-hmm. so what does it mean that she's giving all of the love interests and i say love interest with air quotes because you know pez isn't a real one but no but i think that in my scientific opinion mm. we can say that robin has a type her type now is entirely you type know, now. it's because of strike i think so <laughs> he gave her yeah. a type and pez and ryan can try all they like but they they just can't compare to the og pubehead they just can't do it the OG <laughs> that is delightful so we talked about zoe and beth being friends it's a really good thing that they were because zoe has told robin a lot yeah so she's getting closer to iding zoe herself we know that's coming up mm-hmm. robin now knows who hartella is and worm or zoe tends to bracket lord drakenbile pachora together a lot like they're 
I don't know, a double act or something. Yes. I feel like this clue is a double act in itself because it's hinting towards the fact that Lord Drek and Vile Pachora are in fact siblings. But it's also hinting that there is a double act in the game. We're just looking at the wrong one. Oh, yeah. And then this kind of couples with what Strikes says later on when he asks, as far as you know, would it be possible for one person to be operating more than one moderator account? And Robin even says, well, as long as they don't type at the same time. Yeah, I know. I really should have been paying attention to that. And Strike nails it when he theorizes that Lord Drek and Val Pachora are the Havening slash Brotherhood of Ultima Thule. And I really like that one of the reasons this clicks for him is that they're homophobic because it's like their own prejudice is giving them away. Oh, I like that. And he figures out they gave Yasmin the dossier. He seriously nails it on the head. He's really good at this detective shit. He is. Yeah, (laughs) they both are. So Robin mentions that all these Twitter accounts that cluster around anime are all really right wing. And I Mm -hmm. feel like this coming immediately after Strike theorized about one person having multiple accounts She also clued me in that maybe Anime had some of these sock puppets on Twitter. Yeah. I do like the discussion about the Beatles and what pop culture references would suit what age group. Yes. It works well as both a clue and a misdirection because Gus does know the Beatles, but he's Mm -hmm. in the age range that Robin is arguing against knowing the reference. It would be either someone old or someone who's a serious music nerd. Or has a father who also was into music. Probably not hanging out with a whole lot of people his own age. Yeah. It also works well at highlighting the age difference between Strike and Robin, but in a positive way. Because it's really showing how this difference in perspective is benefiting them. That's exactly Mm -hmm. what I put in my notes. They bring different perspectives to the table and they make such a good team because of it. They do. Mm -hmm. And I love that Strike stops and he's like, I would not have noticed that. I love Robin because I too would have no idea who Pete Best is. I didn't know either. Me neither. It strikes mild outrage at her not knowing. It made me laugh. I like this little mention of Robin keeping up with the news about Destiny's Child. Do mm. either of y'all remember that happening? Because I think I was just like a little too young. I think I was like seven or something when that happened. I'm a year younger than Robin, so I do remember this. Although I wasn't really a fan of Destiny's Child, so I wouldn't have remembered the names or anything. But I definitely do remember the group changing or someone leaving. No one knows the random name of the person who left Destiny's Child. Unless you're a serious fan of Destiny's Child. I can tell you every member of Insync's birthday. So yeah, I would know facts like this. Definitely. This rings yeah. true to me. Yeah. And I really like that for her. Being a fan of a girl group that's all about being like independent woman that's got that sort of power. I'm sure that she was like such a huge fan, like especially before she left university and everything. I want to know how she feels about them now, though. Does she still feel positively about them, even though she was like staring at that poster? The poster kind of makes me wonder because maybe it's bringing back some bad memories. There's another bit. So Anime retweets the pen of justice. And it was a blog about disabilities. And Robin Mm -hmm. says, are they disabled themselves or close to someone who is? I think this is pointing us to the Epcots or to Morehouse because at this point we know it fits them both. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And again, Mm -hmm. I'm wondering why I did not suspect Gus more. I was so fixated on it being a twist that I missed it. So this next bit is fun is when Robin is talking about there being something off about anime and sex. Mm. Ultimately, this is leading to the reveal that he uses his alt accounts for using kosh lines and stuff but mm-hmm. i just really like that strikes expression remained impassive yeah. how do you both read this because i want to believe that he suddenly put on professional strike 
and tried to have a neutral face because Robin was about to talk about sex and he's like yeah. mm-hmm, I'm very professional <laughs> yeah yep. I'm picturing the sirens going off in his brain and his <laughs> yeah. his face just like emergency shutdown mm-hmm. on the facial mm-hmm. expressions yeah, <laughs> yeah yep. that's pretty funny to picture yeah <laughs> I think you're totally right there and the line where she says you saw the question about my favorite sexual position Buffy pauses favorite uh. sexual position <laughs> <laughs> he is definitely uh, thinking about it oh uh, to be a fly on the wall of strikes brain that'd be a great place to be a fly on the wall yeah. but would it require him to keep his prosthetic on or could he take it off i need to know okay. inquiring minds God, this is probably the thirstiest episode we've had in a while yeah it mm. is so robin makes the point that they should look into kia niven and i love this whole part so much and kia is a great suspect honestly she totally is robin's logic here and her theory is it's really well thought out and plausible and i was Mm -hmm. like yeah that's a good theory robin and he stares at her with frank admiration it's so cute i can't there are a few things that i really love about this one strike's reaction to her having a theory because he has nothing (laughs) is great you don't often see that yeah well it's funny though because the one that he does have is the correct one (laughs) Also, yeah, it must be so satisfying for him as I guess her former mentor now, because by the end of the book, she's a full-fledged partner with her name on the door and everything. But it must be so satisfying for him as her former mentor to hear her going through her reasoning and just kind of taking the lead on the case. Yeah, he's probably really proud of her. Yeah. I think he likes it in many ways. I'm actually rereading the end of Cuckoo's Calling now and read past the part where he's like, you can't do surveillance on people that's not within the scope of your secretarial duties (laughs) and all this stuff. And then just reading this part now. Yeah, she's come so far and I'm so proud of her and he must be too. It's so cute that he failed to suppress his grin. Oh, I love that. God, I love it. Yeah. And here's where she says what to him. Nothing, he said, but seeing that she wasn't going to accept that, he went on just, he made a revolving motion with his chopsticks as Robin had waved her fork earlier, then swallowed, just thinking, you're good at this detective shit. Disarmed, Robin laughed. Very cute. When he does that and it says that Robin tries not to show how pleased she is by his Mm -hmm. reaction, it's so funny to me when you compare that to her calling Katya pathetic. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, ooh. Okay, Robin. Uh Uh-huh. She was on the other foot. How the turntables. The way the chapter ends, it was times like this that Robin found it difficult to remain pissed off at Cormoran Strike, however aggravating he might otherwise be. No. It's very cute. She loves him. All right. So in chapter 39, Robin visits North Grove Art Collective as Jessica Robbins. And the epigraph, I'll have no traffic with the personal thought in art's pure temple. And that's Aurora Lee by Elizabeth Barrett Browning. Mm-mm. I'm not sure I have a ton for this one other than in art's pure temple reflects where Robin is, yeah. I guess. <laughs> it does. Aurora Lee, it's an important epigraph. Mm -hmm. I want to start paying attention to the chapters where Aurora Lee is used. And here we get both of the patterns I noticed. We get another man interested in Robin. Yeah, I liked these. Yeah, and we get our meeting with Zoe. But yeah, arts, I agree that Arts Pure Temple really seems to refer to North Grove here. It's a space that's set up for art. It's a commune. It has ideals that it's trying to live up to. But it's a bit ironic because this is really all about uncovering the personal thought in this place. It's all about diving into the personal relationships that could 
could lead someone to become enemy, like the interplay and people's thoughts and their personalities. So there's absolutely lots of traffic with personal thought in this not so pure temple. I realize that I like Robin getting ready in the office because it reminds me of in Career of Evil when she's upstairs and Strike is shaving in front of her. Oh, I still love that bit. I, oh, oh man. big oh. same. We're never getting over that one. I don't never. know why. <laughs> never. I know Strike isn't there, but the fact that she keeps all these things in the office says that maybe it's happened before. I just feel like there's some intimacy in getting ready in front of someone. Mm-hmm. There super is. But I'm, I'm always here for Robin's disguises. I love them. And I love that she has three wigs and multiple different colors of contact lenses stashed at the mm-hmm. office. Because remember in Lethal White when she was trying out color contacts for the very first time? Yeah. So we meet Jessica Robbins. And I love this bit about why she has winged eyeliner. That she liked to emphasize the fact that a dramatic creature lived beneath her conventional exterior. <laughs> a person who yearned to escape the confines of her humdrum career. It's <laughs> so funny. It reminds me of that part in the Lethal White adaptation where Robin is talking about Bobby Cunliffe and what music she likes. Like she has a whole background for it. Yes. Mm-hmm. On the subject of Jessica Robbins, one, I'm not going to lie, her outfit as Jessica Robbins sounds super cute to me. It does. But I also love this observation that she's honed her London accent over the course of her living there. I don't know. It's just a nice way to put into perspective how long she's been living in London now. I wonder how her other accents are coming along. Has you her think Australian maybe she can do a better <laughs> yeah, Australian or Welsh accent. <laughs> I also like Strike walking in and seeing her and smiling oh slightly. And, and I think, Pools, that you corrupted me. Did because I? I? Now I find this sexy, and I think you know why. Uh, I might. Remind me. I do a lot of nonsense. The fact that she's in a costume. Oh, yeah. He's into it? That, yeah. That he's super well, into it. super Robin into it, too. Just, they're both super into <laughs> it. This works for them both. Strike really wanted some tea and painkillers, but that would entail standing up. The idea of asking Robin to get them for him crossed his mind, but he said nothing. Now she had hazel eyes, the resemblance to Madeline was pronounced. The notion of offering strike tea also occurred to Robin, but she really did need to leave immediately to be sure of reaching North Grove in time, and after all, she thought, with a slight hardening of her heart, he could call his girlfriend if he needed looking after. (laughs) This one pulled at my heartstrings a little, because tea is one way that they show that they care about each other right and he wants that from her and she wants to give it to him but she had to have that hardening of her heart there oh man she's really protecting herself from the pain of it by hardening her heart and being angry yeah that makes my heart hurt i love that the resemblance to madeline was pronounced even without the hair which means that their facial structure is similar Mm -hmm. too right it's not just the hair robin's got a full-on doppelganger here (laughs) yeah (laughs) okay so should we go to north grove yay north grove so we get this description of the interior with the wooden spiral staircase and the plant that's making a canopy over robin's head it almost feels like she's entering narnia or something yeah right just entering a totally different world yeah it does feel that way yeah Yeah. and this plant is another type of philodendron the one robin gets is the heart-shaped leaves also called the sweetheart plant, by the way. Are you kidding me? I'm oh not my kidding you. God. Amazing. <laughs> but this one is referred to as the Swiss cheese plants. That's the big, big leaves with all the slits in them. This building to me sounds really nice. I would totally go in here and, and browse through the gift shop and take an art class and everything. I'm into it. I'm into the mm-hmm. decor here. Not the pink so much, but the pink walls covered in pictures reminds me of Umbridge's office. Oh yeah, mm, it does. Yeah. 
How many of the pictures are of kittens? Well, we do get the cat outside that she mm. notices. Oh, yes. The cat in this book is definitely a red herring, though, I mm-hmm. think, because we're meant to think that Annie's tweet about wanting to kill the cat or hit the cat mm-hmm. could be this cat or someone mm-hmm. who lives there, I think. But Wally Cardu also has a cat. Yeah. I'll have to pay attention if other suspects have cats around their house. I agree. It's definitely a little red herring. We're supposed to be like, does Annie live here? Is Annie looking mm-hmm. out these windows? I love that Robin is going to pretend. They always pretend to need the bathroom. Never let a private investigator get into your bathroom yeah bad now idea but it it's funny <laughs> that she's trying to find preston pierce and thinking oh just wait robin you'll see him all right yeah <laughs> too much of him maybe i think there's also maybe a red herring here because she spots nils i believe on the computer and i remember mm-hmm. thinking someone's on the computer could be a red herring or a clue it could be. So what do you think both think about the two portraits on the bathroom wall? Because one is Edie and one is Gus. And it feels a bit suggestive to mm-hmm. me. Like, here are these two players. Mm-hmm. But yeah, now that you mention it, the two paintings hanging mentioned in the same tiny room. <laughs> I know. It's definitely suggestive. Yeah, a bit of a pointer. Yeah, hey, look at these two people. How do they Odd. connect to each other? Uh, what about the books that are mentioned? Hmm. I found one minor inaccuracy in this list of books. Mm -hmm. So that last book in the list, the one that's in Dutch, wasn't actually published until several years after this book takes place. Oh, in in regards to the other books, so the Evola book is a bit Mm -hmm. of a clue to uh, Enemy Stock Prophet. I am Evola. Mm -hmm. And then the Durkheim book, Suicide, that's where the concept of anime comes from. Yeah. So we've got a couple anime pointers in this bathroom, along with a portrait of Gus and Edie. This bathroom. All the clues are in the bathroom, like we, we were saying. We it the whole time. So you said you would go to an art class here. Oh, yeah. It'd be so much fun. See, this class could not be more of an example of why I don't like to do things. <laughs> okay. <know>. First of all. <laughs> I don't know how I'd react if I went into an art class and was thrown a surprise penis. I just feel like I would be uncomfortable. I feel like that should really honestly be in like the description. The curriculum. Yeah. It it needs to be posted because like you can't just surprise people with that, especially the women who might have like sexual trauma too, but also women who haven't. You don't do that. You don't spring it on them like that. So I do agree that should be mentioned Mm -hmm. in the description so you can prepare yourself and decide if you want to do it. Yeah, but also the whole let's go around the room thing and talk about ourselves. I hate that. Are we going to talk about one of the best lines in the book? With his arms over the back of the chair, he sat sideways to the class. His face turned away from the girl with blue hair and towards Brendan and Robin. The latter became temporarily preoccupied with not looking at Preston's penis, which was quite a bit larger than her ex-husband's and suddenly seem to be the only object in the room. Amazing. And I mean, still, there's the element of surprise penis. So that's actually maybe uncomfortable, but also it's hilarious, this line. Yeah, I know a lot of people like the comparison to Matthew. Mm-hmm. I genuinely don't think it's meant to be a dig on him because <laughs> Pez is nicknamed horse for a reason. Yeah. Right? I'll take whatever dig at Matthew I can get, <laughs> even if it's not intended. Robin never tells Strike about this, does she? The fact that there was a new model. It's really a shame because I bet he would have said something funny. I wish to God that he'd seen the picture of Pez because his thoughts on it and then listening to the interview Robin does with Pez. Yeah. It would have been comedy gold. Chef's kiss. (laughs) 
So Robin checks the game during the class and there's a message from Paperwhite asking if she's stuck. Mm-hmm. Paperwhite, we know mm. is Gus. I don't know if I have many thoughts about this other than Gus is probably suspicious that she's been yeah. sitting there for so long. It's clear that Gus takes great pleasure in masquerading as Paperwhite for its own sake to know that he's tricking people. Yeah. And I think he really enjoys that. Taking this art class was very successful because she's now seen two people who they were interested in mm-hmm. she's seen the drawings of the bathroom the books she's seen the stained glass with the word anime it was a great call even though i think it would be funny to see strike take the class i don't think he would have been as successful <laughs> no because he wouldn't have been able to approach zoe in the same way and i don't no. think pez would have tried to flirt with him as charming as he is <laughs> don't think he would have caught pez's eye no he would um, know but but the thought of strike having to try and draw pez though is hysterical it is i like the company we hear that robin is good at drawing because we know strikes noticed that in the past um Mm -hmm. it's nice to have it confirmed by mariam who's praising her drawing but the bit where mariam tells her to really look at pez (laughs) to to get the drawing right made me laugh a little Mm -hmm. given how hard robin was trying not to look (laughs) at certain parts of pez she has this quick exchange with worm in the game and i definitely remember that this was the moment that i realized that zoe was worm because she puts her phone away and looks deflated and stuff not a brag because it's so obvious at this point (laughs) yeah (laughs) but this is when i realized it this is the point where robin realizes it too She's like, oh, she struck the wild idea. And I'm like, Robin, it's not that wild. Yeah, it's a pretty solid idea. Well, Robin doesn't know she's in a book. Okay, so for her, true. it's like, oh. Yes, for her, it's like, oh my God, Worm is right in front of me. Do we want to talk about the stained glass here? Yeah. We get the description earlier of people mm-hmm. working together, but here's where Pez tells her that it's all Miriam's friends. Yeah, I guess going back to my thoughts about the collective, Robin thinks that this is supposed to be a picture of paradise for a moment. It's really an ideological artificial version of what this place is meant to be and the figures being representations of the people living here really cements it so here's where the other student in the class kind of fangirls over josh and edie the blue haired girl Mm -hmm. oh man and she starts to tell robin about the stabbing and pez snaps at her Mm -hmm. i don't know for me i can kind of see both sides i can see why pez is pissed off because obviously that's not the first person who's come in there doing that and Mm -hmm. you know obviously he was friends with Edie. it's a little more personal for him but i feel bad for the girl because i don't feel like she necessarily wanted to make a spectacle out of their deaths and everything but that's how it came across this girl does need to realize that these are real people who actually just died she clearly doesn't think of that she's just so giddy about the whole thing that i think she did need to wise up a little and maybe Mm -hmm. pez was pretty mean but he i don't think he was wrong um, yeah but what he said i mean i think that she is making a spectacle of his friend's murder Mm -hmm. and i have mixed feelings about him in general but this was something that i liked about him i think he's right and i think that i also would feel very angry by what she did yeah this is the thing that made me not suspect him at all Because of this moment, I was like, he didn't do it because he genuinely cares. Mm -hmm. He did seem to genuinely care that Edie was dead. And there are a few people in this novel who do. Yeah. Pez seems to be one of them. I don't really feel that bad for her. Honestly, me neither. I think that she, at some point, you have to know that this is not an okay thing to do. Mm -hmm. He's hard on Zoe. And I kind of understand his perspective, but her perspective, I I do understand because I think she genuinely cares in a very different way than this 
person did. And Zoe genuinely was upset about her death. Mm-hmm. It's too hard on Zoe. Um, yeah, but I do understand but, yeah. they're kind of all bunching together for him, probably. Yeah, He's very defensive about it. So we get Bram singing this horrible song again, but here's where we get the translation for it. I guess it's a good red herring in connecting Nils or Bram possibly to the Havening or the Brotherhood of Ultima Thule. Mm -hmm. I think it's a good hint that Nils is super racist because if he Mm -hmm. wasn't, he'd be shutting it down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Also clearly in the running for Father of the Year, doing a real bang up job. Mm-hmm. I think Inigo might edge him out and take the trophy. Yeah. yeah. But yikes. Yeah, but here's where Robin sees the writing on top of the stained glass. She sees the quote from Durkheim. A state of anomie is impossible wherever organs in solidarity with one another are in sufficient contact and in sufficiently lengthy contact. So it's a bit ironic that this collective, this commune is set up to be the prevention against anomie, the bulwark, right? Mm-hmm. It's literally the place where anomie got started, got his obsession with Edie, got his the idea for his name. It's breeding a little racist in there. Yeah. Didn't work. Putting these particular people in, in contact with each other did not do a great job at preventing anomie. Are we ready for chapter 40? Yes. All right. In chapter 40, Robin speaks with Zoe as Jessica and talks to Strike about what she saw and heard at the collective. So the epigraph for chapter 40. But I, who am 17 next year, some nights in bed have grown cold to hear that lonely passion of the rain, which makes you think of being dead and of somewhere living to lay your head as if you were a child again, crying for one thing known and near your empty heart to still the hunger and the fear that pelts and beats with it against the pain. And that is The Fet by Charlotte Mew. It's a long epigraph for this book. It was, yeah. The the extract of it is really long. But I think that it so perfectly encompasses Zoe's loneliness and her longing for real connection in her state. It's, It's so sad thinking about Zoe's life and how lonely she is. That was really all I had for it. (laughs) I know for being the longest one, it feels like I have the least amount to say because it just feels like it's really talking about Zoe. And we do see that loneliness in her in this chapter when she Mm -hmm. tears up and her sadness and stuff. It really, really does. Going back to me not liking this art class, the opening of this chapter fills me with anxiety and secondhand embarrassment because I can't stand the idea of them all having to hold up their drawing of naked Pez <laughs> and him standing right there smirking. <laughs> and the fact that he's particularly interested in seeing Robins kind of creeps me out a little bit because you know he wanted to see how she drew his stuff. Yeah. I imagine he wants to see if she gave it thought and time he thinks it deserves. How embellished it was. Yeah. He really wants to look at her line work there. Oh, yeah, you're right. He, <laughs> I feel like he kind of gets off on this a little yeah, bit. Yeah, he is kind of getting a little thrill from this, and it is a bit a bit gross. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. Before pursuing Zoe, Robin's interrupted by Pez. I don't have much to say about this other than it's so funny that she's trying not to think about his penis. <laughs> <laughs> yep, it is so funny. He's trying real hard. Yeah. I love how we see Robin having a moment of struggling with whether to follow Zoe or whether to engage more with Pez. Yeah. And she goes with her instincts here, which I love for mm-hmm. her because she has good instincts. And I think it was the right choice because she was going to have another chance with Pez. Yeah. He was very clearly into her. She had to take this opportunity now to catch yeah. up with Zoe. That reminds yeah. me of in the next set of chapters where Strike calls Nutley back and tells him to pursue Inigo, but he doesn't exactly know why. Yeah. 
it's just a gut feeling yeah mm-hmm. detective shit yeah they're both good at it they're I so think. good at it <laughs> but i love this interaction that robin has with yeah. zoe and they immediately connect over being from yorkshire but they talk about this mother shipton's cave right Ooh. so of course i had to look this up of course and they have an official website but i also liked this website called third eye traveler that had some fun information so it says Ooh. it's one of the quirkier attractions in yorkshire it's the ancient home of a prophetess born in the time of Henry VII. And just nearby, you'll find the petrifying well that turns everyday objects into stone. It's England's Neat. oldest ticket attraction that has been welcoming visitors since 1630. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so that's what Zoe, the joke that she made about petrifying pretty, That's a pretty good case. Yeah. I love that Robin has clearly actually visited on a school trip because I'm like, yeah, that sounds like a school trip. I looked at the pictures and it's they it looks really cool. It looks like a yeah. cool place to go. I I go. Oh. Do you want to hear some of Mother Shipton's predictions? Yeah. yeah. So she predicted her own death. Oh, cool. She predicted Henry VIII's victory over France. Oh. Uh, well, the there's 50-50, you know, on that one. <laughs> Well, you, okay. you win or well, you lose. I think probably more than 50 50 because, I mean, God, if you look up French victories in Google, you'll get a suggestion for French losses. <laughs> the odds were kind of stacked in your favor. <laughs> she predicted the defeat of the Spanish Armada, the Great Fire of London. Wow. She also said, The world to an end shall come in 1881. So, oh. you know. Well, we're a bit past that a bit past <laughs> but yeah i sent you guys the pictures they're they're kind of fun yeah inside the cave they have like really the cool. stone witch i'd absolutely go that's the kind of thing i'd be totally into zoe talks about wanting to live at north grove i'm not sure it's a place i would want her to live because it sounds awful to me and she yeah. has to deal with bram but it's clear here that whoever her boyfriend is doesn't want her to live there what a fucking asshole mm-hmm. robin says it's like a commune isn't it Oh man, I, I oh. this is something I also just realized. I know what you're gonna say. Totally. Yeah. No. <laughs> In addition to strike thinking about the Norfolk commune later on, mm-hmm. this feels like that thing she does sometimes where she slightly introduces something to us before yes. we dive in in the next book. Yeah, it super does. Yeah, kind of like how we were introduced to Oakton and the MRAs stuff in Trouble Blood, and mm-hmm. then we get a lot of it in this book. Yes, I totally agree. I think this is some serious hinting that we're going to see the commune in the running grave. Yeah, I have a feeling that North Grove is going to look like a wonderful safe haven after this Norfolk commune. A hundred percent. I don't think the commune in Norfolk has a gift shop. Probably Probably not. not. So lame. Not a commune I want to visit. Yeah, and the fact that Joe said we're right to dread it, it still gets me. I'm like, oh, Mm. man. Yeah, like, what the hell are we going to learn about what happened there? Uh, Oh, my God. It's going to be dark. It's going to be dark. Well, I mean, we've already heard about kids being whipped, so, God. Do either of you feel a little sad that this Mm -hmm. interaction with Zoe isn't actually genuine? Because it's so sweet, right? She's so excited to meet a nice person who also loves the ink black heart. Yeah, that yeah. is really sad and sweet. Zoe is, is clearly so desperate to have someone. But the cute bit where Zoe shows Robin her tattoos and Robin is genuinely astonished and impressed. She doesn't have to fake it. 
Oh, that, that for was some adorable. reason was really cute to me. I really, mm-hmm. I'm really glad that, and I think Zoe could tell that she was genuinely super impressed. The part where she talks about how the ink black heart saved her life, this, this does make me a little bit more upset about Pez for being rude because I think Zoe is really genuine. And I think this kind of thing happens in real mm-hmm. life, right? It super does. Art is really powerful. And yeah. I'm 100% sure that Harry Potter has saved multiple people's lives. Mm-hmm. And I bet that Joe probably drew upon a lot of people who have told her that Harry Potter has saved their lives. I've read it in lots of comments on Twitter, and it's it's always really nice. Yeah, she has got that personalization, that characterization of the like super fan like this, just like down pat. <laughs> I felt <Yeah>. so seen. <laughs> yeah, but I really love what Zoe says when she talks about the characters. So she says... And this is going to sound weird with me reading it, but they're like so messed up, but they're still okay, really, in they. I felt proper bad and wrong when I were 14, but like all the things Hardy says, like it's never too late. Even if he was made to do bad stuff, you don't have to forever. It just makes me think of the thing that I most take away from these books. And for me, it's the overall theme of healing and overcoming trauma. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. feel like that's reflected in Zoe's view of the Ink Black Heart and kind of in the Ink Black Heart characters themselves. Yeah, it is. When she says it's never too late, I was actually thinking about this recently and not connected with this line, although it does connect. But I was thinking about when Joe said in the Barmy Q&A that it's a shame that it's taken Strike so long to start this journey of change. But yeah. what I found to be inspiring from that is the message that it's never too late. Yeah. So seeing Zoe say that exact same thing kind of reiterates that for me. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, I love that. This bit also breaks my heart a bit because we know that Ashcroft had already been grooming her when she was 14. Mm -hmm. She was 14, her birthday, the first time she came to London to see him, right? It makes me sick thinking of him taking advantage of not only a child, but one who is in a really, really vulnerable, horrible place. Well, it's what they do. Yeah, yeah. There's no punishment strong enough for this guy. It also shows that he just completely misses the point of the black heart with his blog. Yeah, he doesn't get the point. And realizing he, that he calls himself the pen of justice how when there's he, nothing seriously. just about him. How dare he? Honestly. Is, <sighs> strike is the justice. He, yeah. Ashcroft needs to step away and get that name out of his mouth, out of his pen. I also love Zoe talking about how she didn't kill herself because she wanted to see what happened next. Yeah, it's valid. If the tiniest thing can make you live and Mm -hmm. there is nothing wrong with that, you found something that you want to live for even just a little longer. That's, you know, amazing. Whatever it takes, right? Yeah. I hate the fact that she feels like she needs to justify her love for it. Yeah. Because I bet she's had people scoff and say, oh, it's a stupid cartoon, but it's just, you know, let people like what they like. Mm -hmm. I hate when people feel the need to say something negative when someone expresses an interest or a love in something. Yeah. Because like with Zoe, you never know what that thing means to someone or what they might be going through. Mm -hmm. It's just, Mm -hmm. you know, let people find joy in the things that bring them joy. Yeah, exactly. Going back to what you said, Ken's, before about feeling seen, do you feel personally called out when Zoe mentions Edie responding to her on Twitter and saying, she spoke of it in a hushed, odd voice as though a religious experience because I feel a little called out. Oh, (laughs) dude. Yeah, like whenever Joe responded to us talking about the title of The Running Grave. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm pretty <laughs> sure I've used that exact same tone whenever talking about that happening. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Just add us next time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Zoe feels like she could absolutely be a character drawn from interactions that Joe has had with her fans over the years. There are a lot yeah. of vulnerable people out there who had this experience with Harry Potter and who reached out to Joe about it. Yeah. I know. I've read it. So. Yeah, Zoe feels really true life. Let's move on to something more cheerful, though, because I love when Robin pretends strike as someone else on the phone when she's undercover. I love it so much. I think the only other time it happens is with Flick and Lethal White, but Mm -hmm. it's so good. I want more of this. Me too. It's It's hilarious. Anyone want to read it? Yeah, I can read it. Go ahead. Robin picks up the phone. I said everything I had to say to you last weekend, said Robin coldly. (laughs) I'm busy, okay? Right you are, said Strike, who sounded amused. Call me when you're not busy. No, you are, said Robin, <laughs> and hung up. They're so cute. She's so funny. Oh, I love, love it. them. It would be really nice if we got one of these moments after they get together. Yes. Because Strike can say some things that are a little bit more fun. Oh my god, he so would just to mess with her. Oh my yeah. god, that would be Hilarious. amazing. Oh, I'm begging. I love how much of a kick that strike gets out of this whenever it happens too because he's always amused (laughs) he loves it as much as we do it's great yeah i want this to happen multiple times every book it's fantastic and i like this line but it was evident to robin that zoe was a rarity in the ink black heart fandom someone who'd esteemed edie ludwell more highly than josh blay and i really like this about zoe because it shows that even though she might not be really able to stand up and say so She's not persuaded by the people making these horrible arguments about Edie. Yeah. And that really says something about her character. Yeah, I think it really does. I agree. It's so depressing to me that Edie is this disrespected and attacked and erased from her own creation like this. Mm -hmm. The misogyny is strong in this fandom. I'm not yeah. like sipping tea about anything <laughs> here, but you know. You're totally just talking about Edie. I know. I'm just saying <laughs> that you check yourself, it, you know, before, you before you're an asshole on the internet. <laughs> How do you both feel about Miriam? Because um, Zoe mentions her here. I didn't really have any strong feelings about her. She's got really bad taste in men. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, she seems nice enough, but God, I'm... I just can't imagine what is it about Mills that attracts her because I would find his politics so repulsive that having a relationship would just be a a total might be the millions of dollars it could be that Mm -hmm. it could be the lifestyle with the art and just kind of having free range to do the things that you love to do yeah Mm -hmm. decent sex maybe I don't know I don't know I don't really want to think about Mills. No, <laughs> I don't either, Gross. but it's a possibility. I don't know. I feel like I don't have enough information about her, but she does seem to me to be someone who's a, a bit tenderhearted. The way mm-hmm. that she heard Zoe's story and made sure to ask if she had a job and then gave her um, one. Yeah, yeah that, that was, was really, really nice sweet. of her. That was really good. So let's jump to Robin calling Strike back because I yes. love how impressed he is with her. He calls it a breakthrough. <laughs> oh, and they would do it. And Robin got mm-hmm. it yep yeah i love when he says cheer up we're do a breakthrough in the last chapter i think we forgot to mention that but it's very cute he does the yeah. same thing in lethal white yeah he does like, cheer up. track yeah mm-hmm. cheer up. you know what they were doing robin delivered and he loves that i also like that robin picked up on the little thing about zoe saying her boyfriend said they hadn't done anything wrong yeah yeah 
I'm like, what was that about? Because do we know what that was about specifically? Well, their relationship. Okay. They haven't done anything wrong. Mm. But it does work as a bit of a red herring, though, if you're not sure that that's what... Right. They could be talking about Edie. Yeah. Yeah. We get a little jealous strike here, don't we? Mm -hmm. Yeah. She mentions that Pez almost asked her out and he isn't (laughs) pleased. Yeah, he's like he's fast work. He's going to be less pleased soon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's continue to be displeased. I love that the thought of Pez's penis comes up yet again, and then the thought is firmly oh repressed. It's really sticking in her mind. It's it, it is up. a penis of note. <laughs> Don't say popping up. <laughs> it's, it's, it's inconveniently popping up all over the place for poor robin the ending is a bit of a bummer he's telling her what a great job she's done and robin thinks she hears a woman in the background so she suddenly has to go i think this is probably just the tv right oh yeah do we ever find out for sure yeah i think that it's just the tv and the only reason i think that is because in the very next chapter It talks about Mm -hmm. how Madeline's been so busy because she's preparing for the launch of that new collection. So I think that it's probably just the TV. It is really sad that every time she's reminded of Madeline, like Madeline calls, Madeline maybe texts, Madeline could be there. She's like, I gotta go, I gotta escape. And Strike never wants her to. Strike always wants to choose Robin over Madeline, but sometimes she doesn't even give him the chance. No, she doesn't. There's another moment in the next set of chapters where it happens again. I'm still kind of sad that Robin's love in this book is mostly portrayed as pain and anger. Yeah, pain and anger. There is a moment in the next set of chapters that I find adorable, but we'll have to save it. I can't wait. What are we doing next time? Uh, Next time, we're going to be doing chapters 41 through 44 of part three, and Paula is going to be joining us. Oh, That'll be fun. Yeah, that'll be fun. In that set of chapters, we have a few different things that happen. So Nutley's coming back. (laughs) Strike gets into a fight in the men's restroom. (gasps) Oh, yeah. And then uh, Robin and Strike make plans to go to Comic-Con. There's also some talk about Robin and Strike being godparents to Nick and Ilsa's son. Love it. Oh, and Wolfgang dies. Yes. Oh, don't love that. Don't love that. Not a fan of that. Yeah, so Paul is with us next time. And then the time after... Yeah, Sam's going to be back with us, right? So the return of Sam is coming soon. Exciting. As long as nothing changes, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously. But yeah, that's the plan. Yep. Very exciting. That'll do it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy what you've heard, don't forget to follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr at the SE Files Pod. You can also contact us on our website at thesefilespod.com or email us directly at sefilespodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much again for listening, and we hope to catch you next time for another episode of The Strike in Ellicott Files.